Salvation is just the first step in God's plan for our lives. If you'd like to know more about salvation, just go to our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net and click on the Salvation tab today. We quote this thing, athletes quote it all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, nothing is impossible. Well, we use those for for cliches, but God really does mean that. There's nothing that's impossible to them that believe. What does the scripture say? That the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. What does that mean? It means that when we get a hold and lean into Jesus, we can storm the gates of hell and we can rock those gates until they open up and let that that's captive go free. We can defeat the enemy because he has already been defeated by our Christ. Amen. We all go through valleys and storms in our lives and we can choose to get bitter or to get better. We will either turn to God or from God. In today's sermon, Pastor Eddie Mason continues his series on the invisible, unshakable, glorious kingdom of God and shows us how to lean into Jesus for all of our needs, regardless of what's going on in our lives. Amen. I want to continue to talk with you this morning about the invisible, unshakable, glorious kingdom of God. I've been doing this now for three weeks, and uh, I, I just want you to grab hold of what God is saying. The reason it's unshakable, because once God declares a thing, once God has established a thing, it will come to pass. Amen? There's nothing, there's nothing that will thwart the purposes and the plans of God. Isaiah 14, 27 says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? Who can stop it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So what God is, God, what God has said will happen, will happen. And he's laid it out. From Genesis to Revelation, he's laid out his plan so that we can read, study, and be a part of what he's doing in the earth. But it is an unshakable plan. And and don't you like the fact that God's not wishy-washy? He doesn't make up his mind today and do something different tomorrow. What he said he's going to do, he's going to do. Isaiah continues on in Isaiah 46, 9, and he said, I am God. Now, I've highlighted this. You'll have to go back and read the full scripture. But it says, I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's going to do what he said he was going to do. It can't nothing stop God. Nothing is greater than God. And that's not something that's going to happen. That's something that has taken place already. God has declared it, and that settles it. And so we will live out what God said that we will live out. I just want to encourage us. That. We, we know that God will accomplish his purpose. And the cool thing is he has determined to accomplish his purpose through the church. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to do it through you. Amen. He's going to do it through you. The church is, is the vehicle that God uses to accomplish everything he wants to in the earth. It originally was Israel, and now there's the new Israel. The new Israel is those that are believers. Now, I'm not taking away from natural Israel. I, I do think God has a plan. I believe in all of that. But I also understand that we, the church, is the new Israel. We are the vehicle that God will use to, go, to accomplish his purposes in the earth. And so when we talk about kingdom come, your will be done, we're talking about in my life, through me, doing what you've called me to do. You are a powerhouse for God. Most of us don't realize that, but when we became a new creation, God empowered us beyond our natural limitations. 
Anything, the only thing that limits us is our mind. What is it? We, we quote this thing. Athletes quote it all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God, nothing is impossible. Well, we use those for, for cliches, but God really does mean that. There's nothing that's impossible to them that believe. And so we need to understand that we are here in a transformative position to see the earth change. We're living at one of the greatest times of all of history. You see, the Bible says that the return of the Lord will be, will be like it was in the day of Noah. Now, we know that there was, there was drunkenness and orgies and brawling and all kind of things, but there was also a lot of violence that was taking place. You look around the earth today and there is violence. There's a violence in America. There's violence in, in uh, Europe. There's violence in Africa. There's a violence. There is violence all over the earth. I, I, look at, I look back and read history and I get, I get to read some of that stuff and the, the brutality of those people and, and all of this. And then I just start taking a look around what's going on today and I begin to realize we're living in a brutal time as well. But it is a great time. It is an amazing time because the, our God is still on the throne and he is accomplishing his purposes. He will not fail in any way. If you're, going to be, if you're going to be part of the kingdom, there's three things that you've got to have settled in your spirit. First, that God is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is good. Boy, when the test comes, sometimes we wonder whether God is good, don't we? When things aren't the way they're supposed to be, we think we wonder, God, are, are you good? But you have to have that settled. You can't let that run on adrenaline or on your emotions because if you are, you'll be back and forth, up and down, round and round, and God says, settle it in your heart. I'm good all the time. So we settle in our heart that God is good. The second thing that, that you have to settle in your heart is he's going to accomplish his purpose. Now, that's with you or without you, but he will accomplish his purpose. You see, we get a vote in whether we're, we're part of what he wants to do. He wants us to be a part. He wants a people. He created us to be part of his plan. But we choose whether we will actually fulfill that part of his plan or not. And then the third thing, and this is one of the things that I don't think the church realizes enough, is that he is our eternal reward. He is the very, his presence is the thing that we seek more than anything else. And most of the church isn't doing that. Most of the church has been seeking the benefit of God rather than God himself. And God says, I've called you into this place of knowing who I am. This is eternal life, that you may know God. And so if Jesus is not your portion, if he's not the great desire, then there's a problem going on. And, and we, know, we understand that when we look at the lives of the apostles, when we look at the lives of the prophets, when we look at the lives of the patriarchs of our faith, we begin to see and understand that they had God first and foremost in their life. Not that they weren't shaken, not that they weren't rattled, but they understood that the manifestation of his presence was greater than anything that was on the planet. And we have a hard time sometimes distinguishing between what's on the planet being good and what's in heaven. And so what we do is we begin to translate earthly terms into heavenly situations, and we think about it from that perspective. And God said, I want, you, I want you to see me. I want you to see me. Look what John saw when he first opened the doors of heaven first opened up. The first thing he saw was the glorious God of all creation and the brightness and the brilliance and the glory of God. If you go back and you read Revelation chapter 4, you'll find out that it says only God is worthy. 
to be worshiped and praised. And the whole chapter is about worshiping God. And then you go to chapter five, and then he says only Jesus is worthy to be worshiped and praised. So God and Jesus, who are one, are the only ones worthy to be praised. And so when we bow down and we worship Jesus and we magnify his name and we understand that he is our great reward, then we begin to make progress here on the earth. But until we realize that Jesus is our great reward, we will continue to seek after the things that the people of the earth seek after. We've not been called to that place. We've been called to a place of eternal glory, to be in the presence of God, whether in the body or out of the body. It doesn't make any difference. And until we begin to see that and understand that, our focus will not be on Jesus, but it will be on the benefits. Now, he says, forget not all my benefits. I understand that. But we, need, we have to understand that what is, a, what is our portion? What is our portion? When we go through the valleys and the storms of life, we'll either get better or bitter. I mean, those are the, there's only one or two things that can happen. We will either turn to God or from God. Man, I, I, hate, I, I hate that, but that's what happens. And you see, the, the problem is that our faith is refined in fire. What does that mean, Eddie? That means the Bible says in this life you will have tribulation. And tribulation will either refine your faith, it will define your faith, or you will turn from faith. You will fall away. And we know in the latter days the Bible says there will be a great falling away. And so we, 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 have to, we have to grab hold of this idea that when we're going through, that's what we have to do is go through. You don't want to stay in the middle. And sometimes you just can't get out from under those circumstances, but the idea is we don't back up, we press forward. The idea is we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not on the things that are going on in the world. And so if we understand that God will accomplish his purposes in us and through us, then we can use that time to grow closer to God. We can use that time to grow in our faith because we, we simply have to stand before God and say, God, I really don't understand, but this I know, you're good. I know that your presence is my reward, and I know that you will accomplish your purposes in my life. Nothing will ever change that. And so those three things become the foundation and the rock that we stand on that says his kingdom is unshakable, and I will stand in his kingdom. Circumstances can harden you or cause you to lean into Jesus. Man, I, I want you to know we can get so hard and bitter, we can just walk away from situations, circumstances, and things. And we don't want to walk away from it, man. We want to walk into it. We want to lean on Jesus and have Jesus stand with us. What does the scripture say? That the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. What does that mean? It means that when we get a hold and lean into Jesus, we can storm the gates of hell and we can rock those gates until they open up and let that that's captive go free. We can defeat the enemy because he has already been defeated by our Christ. Amen. Anybody say amen? Amen. <laughs> amen. Okay, so we want, to, we, want to be, we want to push into Jesus. How many of you remember how many thieves were on, I mean, how many uh, people were on the cross with Jesus? There were two thieves, weren't there? Two thieves. Now go back and you look at that story, and you'll find that the circumstances was that they were going to die. And they knew they were going to die. One of those thieves in that circumstance, mocked Jesus. He just absolutely mocked him. The other one was converted to Jesus and asked him to forgive him. 
same circumstances, totally different results. Do you hear what I'm saying? What are your circumstances going to do to you? You're not going to get through this life without some circumstances taking place. And so we're encouraged to to press into the Father. I said this last week, but I want to say it again. God has invited us to be part of his story. We get to be part of what he is doing in the earth. And he has a plan for your life, but are you going to say yes to that plan? When Josh and and Amy led this morning, they talked about that. They said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes. In the revival in Brownsville, it says uh, there was a song that said, will you ride with me? And they said, yes, Lord, yes. That's what God's looking for in our heart is that, yes, Lord, I'm going to ride with you. I'm going to be part of your plan in the earth, not my plan. And we got to get away from this, asking God to bless our plans and fit in with the plan that he has. And the plan that he has is for Jesus to be glorified and to, to rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. And so we will see what God has for us. We live in the place of the kingdom now and the kingdom to come, meaning that we're not seeing the full manifestation of everything that the kingdom has promised, but we will. We will. We're on, a, we're on a, the, the, the chart. We're moving forward. And if you go back and you look, you'll see that everything that God says is coming to pass you'll find that everything that Jesus said would happen is happening. And if you look around, you'll see multiple signs of his return right this minute. And so there is an imminent return of Christ. The when, I don't know. It says no man knows the day or the hour. But we know he is returning, and he's returning for a victorious bride. And so we see the church in the position of even under the circumstances and the persecution and all of the problems, we see the church turning closer to God and winning more people to Christ than ever before. We believe there's a great harvest that's about to take place in the earth. Now, one of the things that I heard was this pandemic was supposed to turn people to run to God. It did not take people and run them to God. But it's not over, and you don't know what all is going to happen at this point in time. You remember after 9-11, the church is filled up. They emptied out pretty quick, too, but they filled up. Listen, when, 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 the, when the pressure is on, people will turn away from God or they will turn to God. The choices become real clear as to what's going to happen. And so we've been invited to be part of it. I, I said this before, and I want you to understand this. If you're not a person of presence, if you don't understand the presence of God, then all that you have to depend on is the joy and the happiness that you get out of this world. And the problem with it is exactly what Beverly said today. That's fleeting. How many of you have ever been at, 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 on some of those rides like at Six Flags? And, man, you're just having a ball, and everything's going great. And before you get through, you're throwing up, you're puking your guts out, or you get through, and the next thing you know, you get in a fight with your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You get through, and you're cussing and fussing. That temporary t- satisfaction of the flesh was just that. It lasted for a little while. And what we do is we go, we try to go from adventure to adventure to adventure to adventure to adventure to keep the adrenaline moving and flowing so that we can keep ourselves happy. And God says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to learn to be a people of presence. A people of presence learn how to get quiet in their soul. A people of presence learn how to sit in the place with God and enjoy his presence. I, I got to tell you, if you don't enjoy his presence, you're going to be miserable in heaven. And the other problem with that is if you don't enjoy his presence, you're going to be tormented in hell. So, I mean, you know, it's a pretty clear-cut thing. God put it in black and white. He hasn't put any gray in there, gray area in there. So what we wind up doing is we wind up exchanging his glory for gratification. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not a good trade. 
Glory for gratification is not a good trade. But we do it, don't we? We sure do. And so we, we have to understand what God has called us to. You see, one of the things that always kept, kept the presence of God away from the Israelites was their sin. I'm going to turn to your neighbor and say, Israel had a sin problem. Now turn to him and says, the church still has a sin problem. Let me, let me just take it into a little bit of depth. God made allowances for a lot of things. He made sacrifices for a lot of things. What's the one thing he didn't make an allowance for? Idolatry. Idolatry. Idolatry always brings judgment and justice in the earth. You see, David wasn't a perfect man, but David had a heart that was after God. David was taken care of. He remained king even though he committed great sins. And he didn't just commit one sin. He committed many sins. But his, his loyalty to God was unshakable. It was unthinkable to him that he would ever turn away from God in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He knew there was only one God and there was only one to be worshipped. And he said, I will worship no one but my God and I'll put nothing before that. Well, Eddie, how do you know that? Because when he was confronted with his sin, the first thing he said, he said, take my kingdom, take my money, take everything I have, do whatever you want, but please don't withdraw your Holy Spirit. The problem with too many in the church is that, and I'm not talking about the world because the world doesn't have any other choice. The too, many, the too many people in the church, they don't go, Lord, you can take your spirit, just don't take my stuff. My stuff is more important to me than the Spirit of God is to me. I got to have my stuff. Let me tell you, when stuff comes before God, that is idolatry. And I just told you, idolatry releases judgment and justice in the earth. And so if we understand that and we as the church don't awaken to that fact, then we find ourselves putting things before God. It's not, not necessarily we'll do what they did back in the old days. We're not carving out idols and putting things in front of us. But if there's anything in your life or in my life that comes before God, guess what? That is idolatry. Now, I know that because I've gone back and God's shown me in my life where I have put things in front of him. Don't act so holy because you've probably done it a few times too. It's okay because God points it out. And when God points it out and shows you, then you come to a place of repentance and say, God, I'm going to put you back on the throne, I'm tired of, of being here. And so I have put, I put family there. I love my family more than I love God. I love my daddy more than I love God. I love my wife more than I love God. I love my children more than I love God. I loved money more than I loved God. I loved golf more than I loved God. I loved, I loved all of these things and I put them before God. Well, Eddie, how do you know that? Because that's all I wanted to talk about. That's all I was interested in. It was all that I was interested in. And so because that's all that I was interested in, that's what had captured my mind, my imagination, and that's what had become more important. If it was a choice between praying or doing something with my family, I did something with my family. I'm not trying to condemn you. I just want you to understand what idolatry is. Idolatry is where we have placed something at greater value than we do the presence of God himself. 
And so we want to understand that we are called to be a people of presence. We're called to be in this place of being in an unshakable kingdom. And the only way we get to that place is that we, we become a people of presence. Am I making any sense to you today? So if it, let me just read to you about the judgment and justice. It's, it's interesting to me because judgment and justice are a two-edged sword. Because when, you, when judgment and justice are poured out, it refines the faith of the believer and it punishes the unbeliever. Now think about what I just said. It refines the faith of the believer and it punishes the unbeliever. Romans 1.18, Paul said this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He didn't say this was something that was going to happen. He said they face the wrath of God right now. These people that are standing up and taking a stand against God, I'm telling you right this minute, the wrath of God, the judgment and justice of God has been opened. The book of judgment has been opened for them. Their name is written in it, and except they repent, they will suffer the consequences either here or then because of their unrighteousness and their, their place of denying that God is really God. God's not sharing the stage. Sue and I were riding over here this morning, and on the back of the tag, was a, was a thing that said uh, coexist. Coexist. And he's talking about every one of these religions need to coexist. God ain't putting up with all that other religion. God is not interested in, in all that other religion. God is God, and what he has said on the earth will come upon the earth. He is not interested in the unrighteousness. He brings justice and judgment against ungodliness and, unjust and unrighteousness. For what can, we, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give, him thanks, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Can I tell you, I listen to brilliant people all the time. And when I listen to many of these brilliant people, they are, more, they are more fascinated with their ability to think and conceive than they are with the idea that God is God. They spend their lives proving that God doesn't exist only to find out when they pass from this life to the next that he does exist and their reward for all their futile thinking is the wrath of God itself. Beverly is right. We need to be praying. We need to be concerned about these people. Stephen Hawking was hailed as a hero. He finally admitted that there was a, 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 an eminent designer, that there was a great creator, there was a God, but he didn't serve that God. And that's exactly what Romans is talking about. He's talking about people that say with their mouth there's a God, but they don't believe and they don't serve that God. He is not their eternal reward. It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him. They claimed to be wise and they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul tells us, he said, he said these people, these people, they would rather serve creation than the creator. 
Think about it. When I talk about Stephen Hawkins, think about what he did. He spent a lifetime observing creation. He spent a lifetime looking at what God had created. He spent a lifetime trying to figure out how everything in the universe connected one with the other. He spent a lifetime doing all these things, and yet he denied that there was a God. Now, let's get off Stephen Hawking's for a minute, and let's get on us. You see, what happens is we may not deny God with our mouth, but we, when, when we decide that we want to live in opposition to our God, when we decide that we are more crafty and more powerful and more, more resourceful than God is, when we become dependent on our bank accounts, when we become dependent on everything that we have more than we are dependent on God, guess what? We are in a place of unrighteousness and we have slipped out of the kingdom and into worldly pursuits. And the Bible tells us we are in the world but not of the world. We are to be a part of what's going on, but it is not to be a part of who we are. And the problem is, is because worldliness has come into the church, idolatry sits at a very high point in the church, especially the church in the West right now. It sits at a very high point, and it can do nothing but bring justice and judgment from God himself. Now, the Bible says that judgment begins on the house of the Lord. Remember what I said, though. Judgment refines the faith of believers and it punishes unbelievers. And so we're not to be fearful of the judgment of God. We're looking to God to bring judgment in order to reconcile us to who he is. And so one of the things that we have to do is we have to overcome. We have to overcome idolatry. We have to come overcome spiritual laziness. We have to overcome the circumstances of life. We have to overcome the voices that come against us. We have to overcome the doubt, the fear, the anxiety. Man, we have to overcome continually. And this is the problem, though, we find. If the, Lord, if the enemy can get us focused more on ourselves than on our neighbors and the people around us, guess what happens? Then that becomes the focus of our life is trying to get our life completely straightened out and forgetting that what Beverly said earlier, that our, our neighbors, many of them are going to hell because nobody has taken the time to share Jesus with them. This makes sense to you? And so we find ourselves different times. I said this last week, we have been called to be overcomers. Jesus overcame, and so we've been called to be overcomers. Overcoming requires us to push forward in the midst of the circumstances, not back up. The problem when you back up is you've got to retake ground. That's right. You've got to take the same ground you've already taken one time. How many of you have ever been there besides me? Amen. Have to go back and take that ground one more time. God said, don't back up. If you've got to stand, stand. I got tickled. Uh, my grandson, Eddie, he loved soccer. And there was a, the father of one of the other of soccer players, excellent, excellent player. And he said, one thing about Eddie, he said, you don't have to worry about what he's going to do. That boy attacks, 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 attacks. He doesn't back up. In soccer, that's not always a great attribute. Sometimes you do need to kick it back, but but, but Eddie just didn't believe in that. The goal was to get it in the goal. It was not to leave it back in the backfield. So he, he attacked all the time. My daddy told me about fighting one time. He told me, he said, Eddie, you know on these Westerns? They come out there and they got the six guns. We watched a lot of Westerns when I was growing up. And they got the six guns on their side. And the hero always looks at the first guy and says, draw. And he gives them the opportunity to draw first. I said, yeah. He said, well, you know those same things when they get in the fight? He looks at him and he said, you land the first blow and, I'm, and if you hit me, I'm coming after you. He said, that's all a bunch of bunk. He said, it's only for the movies. I said, what do you mean, daddy? He, I said, he said, if you're going to get in a fight, you hit first, you hit fast, and you don't quit hitting until he can't move. 
I thought, wow, that's pretty good. Now, he was a little man. Remember, dad was only 5'7", and he loved to fight. And so he knew what he was talking about. Let me tell you that again. You hit first, you hit fast, and you don't stop hitting until, until the person you're, you're fighting gives up or is out. One of the two. Taking ground. Taking ground. We wait till we get under circumstances, and God said, why don't you get on the attack? Why don't you get on the attack? Start hitting him hard now. You see this thing about September 26th? That's part of it. That's counterpunching right there. Repentance is a place of counterpunching. We need to counterpunch, but then we need to get on the attack too. We need to make sure that the kingdom of God is being made manifest. We need to overcome what has been set in front of us. We don't need to wait until we're sitting there deflated, defeated, frustrated, under the pile of circumstances to begin to pursue God and to push forward in the things of God. Am I making sense to you? Amen. Yeah, give God praise. The Bible says, having done all to stand, stand. But he said, didn't never say, well, having done all to stand, back up. Let me say that again. When he said, having done all to stand, stand, he did not say back up. Backing up is a position of defeat. Sometimes it seems like the enemy will beat on us forever. Sue and I watched that movie about Muhammad Ali. And if you remember, there was a point in time in his life when he wasn't quite as fast and wasn't quite as strong as he was early in his career. And so he employed a method called rope-a-dope. Anybody here remember rope-a-dope? He would lay on the ropes, cover his face and his ribs, and just let his opponent just whale the dickens out of him. And he would beat and beat and beat, and they would beat and beat and beat and beat, beat on him. After about four rounds, they had swung so many times, they couldn't even lift their arms. And when they couldn't lift their arms, Ali would get up and then he'd just beat them to death from that point forward. Sometimes when the enemy comes, all we can do is cover our face and cover our ribs and say, you go ahead, but I'm not backing up. I'm not laying down. I'm pressing forward. My God will cause me to overcome. I refuse to surrender to the circumstances. Amen. Amen. And so we come to this place of refusing the unshakable kingdom where we settle in our heart that God is God, that all he has purposed will come to pass, where we understand that his presence is our eternal reward. So you can't take anything from me. You can't give anything to me because my God is my portion. That makes sense to you? We've got to grab hold of this idea. He said, don't back up, overcome. There are seven promises made to overcomers. In Revelation 2.7, I'm only going to read three of them today. In Revelation 2.7, he said, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'm sitting there this morning, and I'm praying about that, and I said, Lord, that's really good. After we die, he said, I didn't say anything about that. Well, that Scripture says, to him who conquers. You know what the Holy Spirit said? The very minute, the very second you make up your mind that you're going to conquer, you have already overcome. Oh, let me, let me tell you that again. You see, we always put things in chronological order. God says he knows the end from the beginning. So when our heart is in, in alignment with God's word and our head has declared victory, the victory, we are now the conqueror. And he said, now go and eat from the tree of life. What is he saying? He's saying, surround yourself 
inside and out with my presence. Because you see, while we're in the battle, our mind is on the enemy and it's not on what God is doing. But God said, once we make up our mind that we will overcome, that we are conquering the circumstances, he said, then you go and you partake of the goodness of God. I'm making sense to you. And so it's a, it's a now thing. It's a now thing. Look at the second promise. He says in Revelation 2.11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. He says, understand this, they cannot steal your eternal reward. The very minute you decide to overcome is the minute you decide that they don't have anything that can be taken from you. As long as you have something that can be taken from you, then you have to fight for what you have. But the very minute that God becomes that great treasure, the very minute that God becomes the very thing that you need, it's at that point in time that God says, you're not going to be hurt by anything they do. You're definitely not going to be hurt by the second death. You're definitely not going to be hurt by anything that's happening in the earth. Am I making any sense at all to you? I want you to grab hold of what God said. God said, I am empowering you to overcome. I'm empowering you to stand strong. I'm empowering you. That's why he hates idolatry. Idols cannot empower us. As much as I love my family, and I do love my family, they do not empower me to overcome what's in the earth right now. It's the Holy Spirit that's inside of me that gives me the power to overcome. He's the treasure that we're seeking after. Does that, am I making sense? I know I've said that a lot today, but I want you to grab hold of this thing deep down in your heart. Let me read one more, and then I'll encourage you to go read all seven of them and read them from the perspective of right now, not hereafter. Revelation 2.17, he says, To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. He says the very minute that you become, you, you, you choose to conquer in this life, he said, I'm going to write your name. I'm going to give you a brand new identity. You're no longer going to identify with the things of the world. You're only going to identify with the things of the kingdom. And he said, but only you and I are going to know. In other words, you're not going to go bragging about this is my new identity. I'm the most high prophet of God. Look here, my name written down. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Eddie. Nope. He said, that's between you and I. But he said, I'm going to give you manna. Why do I need manna? I got to have strength because I'm in the battle. And without manna, this stuff that I'm eating here, it won't do me any good. I got to eat what's only found in heaven. Guess what? That means it's, you, it's not necessarily found in his word. It's found in his presence. Now, it'll be, it'll be uh, codified in the scriptures. The whole idea is in his presence. We eat and we nourish ourselves from his table. And if you don't think we need strength, again, we've been studying 1 Kings. And if you've ever studied anything about the story of Elijah, you find out that Elijah goes to Mount Carmel. He has a tremendous victory. He, he 450 prophets of Baal, and they're all killed. And he takes off, and he runs in front of Ahab. He outruns horses to get back to the city of Jezreel. Here he's outrunning all these horses. The power and the strength of God is on him. And then Jezebel finds out what he's done by killing all of these prophets, and she sends out word. She says that, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to have done to you. 
He said, and she took a death oath, if you go back and you study that. She took a death oath. She says, let that happen to them, happen to me. If by tomorrow this time you're not dead, being fed to the birds, basically. And when, he, when, when Elijah got word of that, he took off and, pew, he booked it. And when he booked it, one of the things that happened was he, he went and, and, and he hid himself and the angel of the Lord showed up and fed him. The messenger of God showed up and gave him sustenance. And the Bible said he went to sleep and when he woke up, the angel told him, eat again. And then he, gave, he said then he was empowered to run to Mount Horeb. Eddie, why are you telling me that story? James says that Elijah was a man of like passions, just like we are, that he was a man. The reason I believe God put that story in the book is so you find out he's really a man. You see, the very second we think we can handle a situation is the very second that we begin to fall. And so he said what had to happen was the angel, the messenger of God, had to come feed Elijah in order to strengthen him because his mission wasn't quite finished at that point in time. He still had a few things left to do. And so what we want to do is in the midst of the circumstances, we don't want to neglect the partaking of the, the hidden manna. We don't want to forget to take partake of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to walk away from the presence of God. We want to walk into the presence of God and eat until we are strengthened to the point of overcoming. We want to overcome, then we say we'll come back. And God said, uh-uh, I want you to overcome, and I want you to eat in the midst of it. I want you to partake of me in the midst of your circumstances, and I will empower you to make it through your circumstances. This whole idea of I'll gut it out myself, let me tell you what, that gutting it out yourself, that's man's conception. Jesus said, lean on me and I will empower you. Lean into me and I will give you glory. Partake of me and I will give you strength. Partake of me, partake of me, partake of me. He said, if you'll partake of me, I'll give it to you. I'll strengthen you beyond any place you can ever think or imagine. I'll cause you to run before the, horse, before the horses of Ahab. I will cause you to be able to blow the trumpet and the walls of Jericho come falling down. He said, I will do the things that I have commanded in the earth to do, and I will use you to do it. But you have to be strengthened in me. And so let the circumstances of your life, don't ever give up a good storm. Don't ever give up a good circumstance. Use it to allow your faith to be refined that you can declare more than ever. I don't care what's going on. I'm going through. God's got me, and I will make it to the other side. Whether in this body or not, I don't know, but I'm going through. Amen? Come on, give God praise. Stand to your feet. Make up your mind. The Bible says that a double-minded man shall receive nothing from the Lord. Make up your mind. Loyalty is a, is a condition of salvation. Eddie, I don't read that. Go back and study it. Doesn't say perfection. Doesn't say you won't sin. Doesn't say you won't make mistakes. But he requires a wholeheartedness from us. He wants us. His desire is to write his law on our hearts. That's his will, his purpose, his being. I don't care what the circumstances are. Today, you make up your mind. I'm going through. It may take a little while. It may take some time. 
you just make up your mind, doesn't matter. I'm going to feed and feast off Jesus. I'm going to eat from the tree of life. I'm going to rejoice in the new name, the new identity that I've been given. I'm going to eat the hidden manna. I'm going to be in his presence. I refuse to be anywhere else. Israel always prospered in times of war, in times of persecution. It's when they got through and they got to the other side that they fell away. So today I want to encourage you, even though you may not be going through anything at this moment, don't wait till then to press through attack, attack, attack. How do I attack? I don't wait until such time as I have need of him. I spend presence with him all the time. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.